turn to the last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 5, is where we are going to be uh, this evening. Uh, kids, I wonder if someone was to ask you uh, this evening, what is your favorite story or perhaps chapter in all the Bible, what you would choose? Well, we get to look at my favorite chapter uh, this evening, all of Revelation 5, all 14 verses is what we're going to study together. And I trust that maybe after we end our study, you might also have a similar soft spot in your soul for this wonderful vision of our Savior. So we left off, of course, last week at the end of chapter 4. The scene just continues on. There's a a natural transition from chapter 4 to chapter 5 as John's vision of heaven continues. And let us hear now what God is speaking to us through this great word. John says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne, a scroll written within, and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scrolls or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. With seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who is seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy. Are you to take the scroll and to open its seals? For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down. And worshipped. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's pray together once again. Father, we do ask that you would give your divine blessing upon our study this evening. That you would help us to hear your word. That you would help us uh, to keep your word. That worship of your Son might be our always increasing and ever faithful delight. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Last night, our family engaged in what can only be called one of those only in 2020 kind of events. Uh, we streamed, a live streamed, a concert that has become something of an annual tradition in our family. 
And so with the correct number of dollars deposited, enough internet bandwidth and sufficient streaming speed, uh, we joined in, frankly, it was really, we tuned in to thousands of people around the world who were watching and singing along with praise to Jesus Christ. And the glory of God's Word in Revelation chapter 5 is we get to tune in to another concert. We get to tune in to another scene of praise for Jesus Christ. Uh, But it's one that's so magnificent. It's one that's so full of splendor that it makes the little concert that we watched last night seem like a small town barbershop quartet compared to this universe filled and ever-increasing and burgeoning, burgeoning praise of Jesus Christ. And so we left off last week, if you're with us, at the end of chapter 4. John had heard Jesus summon him to heaven. He said, walk through this door and come see the things that will be. John walked through the door. He gets then to heaven. And at the center of heaven is a throne. And we saw last week uh, the simple point of chapter 4 was... John's need and our need to see the sovereign creator who sits on the throne. And then what we saw is this scene of worship begin to unfold. The four living creatures praise the Father. The 24 elders join in praising the Father. And the scene now shifts into chapter 5. The scene uh, continues quite seamlessly. And now the focus is no longer on the Father who sits on the throne. But the simple point of this part of the vision is the sovereign Savior who ascends to the throne. So the scene is shifting from the sovereign creator, the Father, and the worship that belongs to Him, now to the sovereign Savior, the Son, and the worship that belongs to Him. And so we're just going to walk through our text, which really does have three simple sections uh, under three simple headings. First, we're going to ask the question along with the angel of who is worthy. Secondly, we'll answer it by saying the Lamb is worthy. And then thirdly, we'll see what He's worthy of. Worthy of worship. So who is worthy? The Lamb is worthy. Worthy of worship. As all we're meant to see in this passage tonight. Look again at verse 1. Who is worthy? John says, Then I saw on the right hand of Him, that's the Father there seated on the throne, a scroll written within, and on the back sealed with seven seals. It was common in the ancient world, certainly the first century world in which John was living for rulers and authorities to have these long scrolls, sometimes 30 feet in length. And what would be written on those scrolls were plans, aspirations for their kingdom, for their empire. And John has seen something like that. Of course, it's a little different because here it has writing on the inside and the outside. What we need to know, according to the rest of this book of Revelation, is what this scroll represents. We don't need to guess at it. What this scroll represents is the God-ordained destiny of humanity. Within this scroll are God's plans, His sovereign plans for salvation, for vindication, for the consummation of all things. And kids, you'll notice it's sealed with seven seals, which means it's closed. No one can open it unless... Someone had the authority and ability to do so. So the angel announces, notice verse 2, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? Who can unleash the plans of this scroll? Because if it goes unopened, these plans go unrealized. That's going to be a most tragic thing for reasons we'll see in a second. 
Now, I know if you know anything about the 18th century preacher that was the most famous man in America for much of the 18th century, a man named George Whitfield, it was said that he could speak and proclaim God's word with this booming voice to such a degree at that time, without amplification or technology, 30,000 people could hear him preaching the gospel at once. It astonished the people at his time. How much more astonishing must it have been for the Apostle John as he hears this loud angel booming forth in a way that we'll see all the universe can hear. Who is worthy to open the scroll? Who has the authority to go take that book? Who has the ability to pull off the seals and unleash the plans of God for His people? And you'll see in verse 3, no one in heaven or on earth, or under the earth, was able to open the scroll and look into it. Now you have to put yourself in John's context there in the late first century, and how horrifying it would have been for John to see that no one is found to open this scroll. John has loved ones, maybe it's church members, family members, friends, scattered throughout the Roman Empire, perhaps locally there where he was, or had remembered locally there in Ephesus' charge of old. And they were dealing persecution, hardship, immense suffering for their faith in Jesus Christ. And here is the document that can unveil God's plans to give victory to His people. To bring vindication and salvation to His loved ones. And no one is found to open it. So in that moment, John thinks, really? Defeat is going to be the end story of God's people? And so what does he do? But the natural thing in verse 4, I began to weep loudly. There's no silent sob there in his little corner of heaven's throne room. This is a weeping, wailing that everyone would be able to hear, that everyone would be able to notice. And I do hope that you've read your Bible all the way through with enough help from God's Spirit to notice How it's the mature saints, the apostles, and even the Savior Himself that are often found weeping over things like sin, Satan, and death. Just as John is weeping loudly here. I wonder when was the last time you wept for something like sin's power in your life. Satan's oppression against your family. Or the death that continues to reign within our time. Certainly John didn't have to weep long, did he? For look at what we're told in verse 5. One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So who is worthy? That's the question. The answer, now in verse 5 and following, is the lamb is worthy. Now, students, if you glance down at verse 5 again, you want to make sure you don't miss the two identifications that this elder makes with the one who is worthy. First, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah, which is just fulfilling this old messianic prophecy all the way in the Bible's first book in Genesis chapter 49. He's also not just the lion of Judah. He's the root of David which is fulfilling a messianic prophecy scattered throughout, frankly, the prophets, but maybe most uniquely located in Isaiah chapter 11. And Genesis 49, Isaiah chapter 11, speak of this Messiah to come who's going to have the authority to judge. And so if you were John in that moment and you hear, 
Weep no more. The line of the tribe of Judah, uh, the root of David, he has conquered. John would be thinking, of course, in his mind. Well, of course, it's the Davidic lion who is going to come and bring victory for God's people. But the stunning surprise of the scene is that he turns and looks and he doesn't see a lion. Notice what he sees in verse 6. Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. It's as though he's there prostrating, you know, weeping there in heaven's throne room, down on his face. He feels this this touch on his shoulder, comforting words, gospel words, saying, weep no more, the lion is conquered. He gets up, he turns around, expecting to see the Davidic lion, and what is it? A bloody lamb standing there. All of the universe was asked, who is worthy? No one stood up. No one stood out. No one was willing to walk forward to take the scroll from the Father's hand. And John looks and says, and sees, it's the Lamb who was slain. That not only is the one who has the authority, he also is the one who has the confidence to come before the Lord. Now, kids, you want to recognize when you come to texts like this in Revelation, particularly verse 6, that this doesn't tell us literally that Jesus is in heaven depicted as though he's a slain lamb. It's meant to communicate to us something of his work, right? He's the perfect final Passover lamb whose blood alone can atone for sin, who can cover the sin and the punishment that your transgressions deserve. But not just that. You'll notice the end of verse 6. He has seven horns, which represent his perfect power. He has seven eyes, which tells us the fullness of the Spirit rests on Jesus Christ. So the Lamb, as though He was slain, He stands up. He stood out. And then, with complete confidence, in a way that would have taken the breath away from everyone there in heaven, He begins to march to the Father's right hand. And you can hear it like with the Lamb's hoof, can't you? And then he takes the scroll from the Father's hand. Because, of course, it's only Jesus Christ that has the authority and the ability to begin to unleash God's final plans for humanity. Plans for salvation, vindication, and consummation. Notice verse 8. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. I remember sitting years ago in a local Presbyterian church visiting for the first time, waiting for the service to start. And as you might know from previous times visiting churches, you're just kind of glancing around, uh, wondering what's about to take place. And certainly, different than my upbringing, what began to take place were voices singing in majestic harmony. They were singing, all creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. But the problem was, I didn't see voices anywhere that would be singing that. There's no one on the side of the church. There's no one in the choir loft behind the pulpit. There's no one up front. And then I began to realize what was going on. It was up in the balcony behind me that the choir was announcing the reason for which God's people had come that day. And it didn't take very long, did it, of course, for a congregation of that size, certainly, to be taken up in praise of Jesus Christ. And it's the exact same thing that's getting ready to happen here in heaven. The 24 elders... The four living creatures, they're going to start this incredible concert of praise to Jesus Christ. 
and then the whole universe will join in by the end. You see as verse 8 continues, each of them were holding a harp representing their immense gladness and joy, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Perhaps that might even be an encouragement to you there at the end of verse 8 to spend your week in prayer to the Lord for few things get you closer to the Father's throne than the prayers that you offer to Him in faith. Who is worthy? The Lamb is worthy, and He's worthy of worship. Why is He worthy? Notice three things in verse 9. It centers on His ransom. First, He is worthy because His ransom is final. You see verse 9 as they begin to sing, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. It's definitive language there, isn't it, kids? He's not saying you made it possible for people to be saved. You have ransomed them. You have redeemed them. You have saved them. It didn't make salvation theoretical. It didn't make salvation hypothetical. It made salvation effectual. You, you have conquered. You were slain. You have ransomed. His ransom is final. Number two reason why he is worthy according to this short but significant song is that his ransom is universal. You see how the text continues. You ransom people for God from every tribe and nation and language and people and nation. God's plan to bless all the nations of the earth. It reaches its final fulfillment, doesn't it? Through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, which is saving people from all corners, all parts of the earth. His ransom is final. It's universal. And also, thirdly, he's worthy because his ransom assembles. Look at the songs end in verse 10. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. God is not just saving sinners, adopting them into His family as sons and daughters of the King. He's making them into this tribe, if you will, of priest kings. Which, significantly enough, students, you might know this, all the way back in the book of Genesis. What was God's original intent and design with Adam? But that He would be a priest king in His heavenly garden. And here is Jesus Christ restoring humanity to that original place and purpose. Priest kings in God's final great and glorious garden. Verse 11 says, And then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures, the elders, and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. From my soccer days, there's only a few things that I recall with real particular, vivid clarity, one of which was one time we were playing against another country, and uh, there were 7,000 people in stands rooting for this country, and I had never played before or since, frankly, in a setting with such raucous volume that, that you know, had the potential to unnerve you, and it did really for the last five to ten minutes of the first half. I was relatively unsettled in the way I was playing, so I remember I can still picture his face came into the locker room, and the coach kind of sat down on his uh, normal seat, and he began to look around at us because we weren't playing that well at the time, and he pointed his finger right at me, and he said, get your composure back, because the noise had rattled me. How much more must John have been rattled by myriads and myriads, which some people number at 100 million strong, this angelic choir, singing a song of worship and worth. Notice verse 12, to the Lamb worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And if you just glance over to chapter 4, verse 11 in particular, you'll see that the very same things ascribed to the Father 
why he is worthy of worship as the sovereign creator, are now ascribed to the Son, for he is worthy of worship as the sovereign Savior. And if that angelic choir wasn't sufficient to praise this great and glorious King named Jesus Christ, you'll see now in verse 13, everyone and everything joins in the song. Verse 13 continues, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is written and that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. You might know that great psalm that commands, Let everything that has breath play, praise the Lord. And here it is at the end of God's book. The Lamb has taken the book. And so therefore, everything that has breath in the universe praises this sovereign Savior. Yeah, I can look around, of course, in here this evening. A number of you have glasses on. Our second son, Owen, has glasses. And I remember, as some of you might recall or have seen or observed before, you know, when he first got the glasses, it was just a delight to just kind of watch him go about his ordinary day because he was just starting to see things in a way he had never seen before. Clearly, easily. And it was just such a joy to just watch his joy as he is seen clearly for the first time. And I hope that that kind of spiritual joy might fill your hearts, that you might see the Lord Jesus Christ clearly for the first time. Because there are a few portraits and passages in Scripture that reveal him in all of his splendor and majesty, like Revelation chapter 5. And so to help you see clearly, let me just close by offering four things that you need to see about this Savior. Number one, see the Savior's centrality. Every eye in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, looks at this Savior. Every voice in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, praises this Savior. He's the center point, isn't he, of all of history. He's the center point, isn't he, also of all humanity. I wonder if he's the center point in your heart. If he has that central place of affection and adoration. See the Savior's centrality. Number two, see the Savior's sovereignty. He has conquered. What good news that was to first century Christians wondering if Christ and his kingdom was really going to conquer in the midst of their persecution and oppression. The great news is this sovereign Savior has already conquered. And of course he will. Finally, once and for all, when the day comes, conquer all of his enemies. In all of your enemies. A true sight of the Savior's sovereignty. Wouldn't it compel us in the Spirit's kindness to live fearlessly, to pray earnestly, to proclaim Jesus Christ zealously? Number three, see the Savior's mercy. It should strike you that there, portrayed before us in our text, that great and glorious sight for John is the death wounds of the Savior. I saw a lamb standing. As though slain. There's no more merciful sight, is there, than blood that was spilled for sinners like you and me. Blood that alone can cover the sin, the penalty that our sins deserve. See the Savior's centrality, His sufficiency, His mercy. Finally, I want you to see the Savior's beauty. See the Savior's beauty. Some of you know the name of John Newton. He was a beloved English pastor in centuries gone by. Of course, he's most famous, isn't he, for writing that famous hymn, Amazing Grace. What you might not know about John Newton 
is that in his time, and certainly even in the centuries since, he's a celebrated letter writer. Three years after his beloved wife Polly died, he published a collection of letters that he wrote to her titled, Letters to a Wife. And when the volume came out, he started to receive all kinds of responses and reviews because he was a known figure in the Church of England at the time. And one of his close friends actually scolded him for publishing these letters because he said something to the effect of, Dear John, don't you know it's made it impossible for all of us to now serve our wives because we're so incapable compared to your eloquent language that you've shared to the world regarding your love for your wife? But, but other reviewers were more confused, frankly, uh, about John Newton's bursting affection in this collection of letters. One biographer even said of this period in Newton's life, some contemporaries found the intensity of Newton's adulation, so kids, that's love, adulation for his wife rather surprising, since to neutral observers, she did not seem conspicuously blessed with beauty. You wrote that about her. I hope you're no such neutral observer when it comes to the slain lamb, the sovereign suffering savior that is the center point of heaven. That someone might say of you, why such worship of him? He does not seem this slain, slaughtered lamb standing and taking God's book, conspicuously blessed with beauty. But of course, Christians know a different story, don't we? Because the Bible's telling us here, right, portrayed before our very eyes even this evening, that there is no more beautiful sight in all the world than the sovereign Savior who ascends to heaven's throne, the lamb who takes God's book. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray that you would give us a heart of increasing love for your Son. That by your Spirit, you would help us to see clearly everything that we must. His mercy, His sovereignty, His beauty that we might join in with that song of heaven, a worship that belongs to His beautiful word worthiness. Give us, we pray, new life in this vision this evening. And we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, let's stand together as we want to join with not only the angels there singing of Christ's victory, but we join even in this season singing with the angels who sang a song of glory in the highest when Jesus Christ was born. Let us sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. <laughs> 